And now, with Sound Investing, here's Paul Merriman. Well, now it's time for the fun to begin. We have been working slowly up to the point here over the last weeks to get uh, to where we can start seeing the the impact of investing in these many years of returns. Uh, and the returns I'm talking about, if you haven't been listening to the the recent podcast, we we started with a uh, discussion of the ultimate buy-and-hold strategy. The purpose of that presentation was to pin down why we recommend the equity asset classes we do. Then in the next podcast, we talked about how to combine those asset classes, in some cases as many as 10 funds, and in some as few as two. But uh, we, we, we showed you the returns and the risk and uh, all of the background information on the pure returns without uh, showing the impact of, let's, let's call it, normal kinds of investing that we might do. Uh, then we went to the fine-tuning tables, and there we combined the equity portfolios with fixed income so we could see the impact that different combinations of bonds and stocks would have both in terms of risk and return. But finally, we have come to the the point where we can talk about the period of accumulation, the period when we are putting money in and uh, on a regular basis over all of those years that eventually leads up to retirement, uh, where we start taking distributions. And uh, in the next presentation, uh, the next podcast, we'll talk about distributions. In fact, we'll have two separate podcasts on distributions. But here on this podcast, I want to talk about the contributions that we make. And we're going to assume a very simple uh, situation. You will have started investing, and I'm looking at table C1. In fact, you will probably want to print out a a C1, C14, and C11. We have links uh, to these uh, three uh, tables of contributions. And by the way, uh, we also have links to the uh, earlier presentations for people who want to get caught up uh, to where we're starting today. But in C1, here's the assumption. You're going to use the most popular investment that we know in terms of investing for retirement with equity, and that would be the S&P 500. Now, I've said many times you could substitute the total market index and have almost exactly the same return. So uh, rather than do them and show two different ones, we just show the S&P 500. And the S&P 500 is going to be combined with uh, different combinations of fixed income, from all fixed income to 10, 20, 30, 40, all the way to 100% equity. So As we saw in the earlier fine-tuning tables, 
those combinations are going to, uh, when they have more equity, be more risky and be more profitable over the long term. And when we're talking to early investors, those in their 20s and their 30s, we really wish they would be all in equities, at least up to age 40. And for a lot of people, I suspect it could be up to age 50. So I'm going to look at table C1. The title says Fixed Contributions, S&P 500 Equity Portfolio. So 100% of whatever equity position you have is going to be in the S&P 500. We're going to start small. We're going to start with $1,000, and we're going to invest on a monthly basis, $83.33 a month, as if it's going into a, a, a 401k plan. Or you could do this, obviously, uh, with an IRA and hopefully a Roth IRA. And we're doing it with all these different combinations of S&P 500 and fixed income. So I can see that if I started with $1,000, oh, and remember quite a while ago when we talked about how investing works and how you can control the outcome, we've made the assumption that not only are you starting with $1,000, but you are upping the contribution by 3% a year. So the, the, the contribution contribution you made in 1970 was $1,000. By 1979, it was $1,305. By the time you get down to 2022, it's $4,651. And you will have invested, so you get some perspective of what you invested and what you ended up with, you invested $126,347. That is at the bottom of the column that says annual contribution on the far right. Now, I want you to notice something as you look at this table. As you put money in, what you see under the 100% equity column is what was the value at the end of that year after investing your money. And in the case of 1970, it was $1,022. So obviously, it is your money that counts here because what happened in the market that year uh, didn't, didn't make you much money. It was not a good year in the market. In fact, the 70s as a decade was not a great decade. And I want you to notice that each year you're putting in more money. Remember that 30%. But as I look at the first 10 years, there is only one year that what you ended up at the end of the year with wasn't more than the previous year. So, for example, if 1973, you ended the year with $4,308, and in 1974, a tough year in the market, you ended up with 4124 Now, the reason you didn't lose more money is because that year 
you put in uh, over $1,100. So that new money coming in in the early years can cover up uh, some market declines. And you do not have another year that the end result is lower than the previous year until 1990, when you go from 119,884 at the end of 1989 to 117,903 at the end of 1990. And it, as it turns out, there were in fact eight years out of the 53 that the following year you had less money. Now, I don't want to minimize that because I can tell you there were some years that were serious setbacks. For example, here at the bottom of this column, 100% equity, at the end of 2021, you had 3,717,000 approximately. And at the end of 2022, you were down to uh, 3,048,000. So that was a severe, in fact, it was about an 18% loss for the S&P 500. This, of course, is why when we get into retirement, often people want to have some fixed income in the portfolio to protect against that kind of a loss. But here is the bottom line of the all-equity portfolio. You invested 126347 That S&P 500, by the way, compounded at 10.4 over that period. Of course, it, it, it wasn't a smooth 10.4, and each year here represents the real return of the index for each year. But at the end of this time, you end up with $3,048,000 approximately. And, uh, and that's a very fine return. Imagine if you had been investing $6,000 a year into a, a Roth IRA, you would be able to multiply that uh, $3 million, uh, by 6. And you would have put in uh, uh, you would have put in six times the 126,000. So uh, it would have been a very fine reward. And, 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 I'm, and I'm not minimizing what a great investment the S&P 500 is, and we've talked a lot about that uh, in the past weeks. I do want to highlight, I do want to highlight that if you are more conservative and you had 40% in bonds, Instead of having eight years that you would have, the, the, the following year was lower than the previous year, you have six. So the bonds uh, cushions of some of the losses that were sustained. But instead of having $3 million plus uh, at the end of that uh, uh, 53 years, you have not quite $1.7 million dollars. So there was, for taking the risk of having uh, more money in equities, uh, the payoff was substantial. In fact, I find it interesting for you to take a look at what each time you add 10% uh, 
more equity. See what that happens to the long-term return. For example, let's go back to that 60-40, 60% S&P 500, 40% government bonds. You ended with about 1.7. If you had 10% more, 70% in equities, you would have ended with 1.97. If you had had 10% more equities, you would have ended with 2.3 million. So every extra 10% that you are comfortable taking, uh, that additional risk, uh, and of course when we went through the fine-tuning tables, there we, we, we can see those risks very obviously as we show the worst three months, the worst six months, the worst 12 months, etc. So there is a reward for every 10% equity. But I want to look all the way down to the people who are almost afraid to take any risk at all. And I want you to notice that at the end of that period of time, if you had had all of your $126,347 in the bonds, you would have ended the 53 years with $532,000 approximately. So that's about one-third of what you would have had in 6040, and about one-sixth of what you would have had in the all equities. So bonds, while they, they may feel safe and secure, uh, you pay a real price uh, for being that conservative. But I want to encourage those very conservative people to just take a minute and look at this table C1 at the bottom, if you would, at the bottom, how would you have done if you had put in 10% in equity and kept 90% in bonds? You would have gone from about 532000 to 654000 Another 10%, you'd be up to almost 800000 Another 10%, you'd be coming close to a million. So if you, can, if you can go back and look at those fine-tuning tables and see if you could be comfortable maybe having just 30% uh, in the S&P 500. Now, I have started here with what we call the benchmark return. We have one of these fixed contribution tables set up for each one of the nine different uh, strategies, uh, portfolios that we showed in our sound investing list of portfolios that we recommend. But today, I'm not going to go through all of them, but we have the link in the notes here so that you can see all of them, assuming this set of assumptions regarding uh, starting with a thousand and adding three percent a year. So now let's go to another of the portfolios, and we use. I'm going to use the same two portfolios I used when we dug into the fine tuning table because they are two portfolios that are relatively low risk. And there are only two funds that you have to own. And the first one of the two fund strategies I'm going to talk about, you can see it, show the results of these investments in table C14. Now, 
I can look at all of those years, by the way, that it it didn't go up from the previous year, and they are about the same. Uh, So you're still going to have to fight fight years that you don't that you don't make money because what we've done here is we have upped the risk level a slight bit, which means if you remember the fine-tuning tables, when you had losses, they tended to be just a little bit higher. Uh, not always, but, uh, but on average. Okay, so let's, let's look at some bottom line numbers here. Uh, you may recall that with the S&P 500, and this is, by the way, the two-fund strategy, half in the S&P 500 and half in small-cap value. So it's going to be kind of like the S&P 500, but it's also going to be kind of like small-cap value, which had a much higher return uh, over the 53 years uh, than the S&P 500. When you combine the two, it's a 12.2% compound rate of return instead of 10.4 for the S&P 500. So we would expect that over this period of time, you would have more than $3 million. And in fact, the bottom line number have, with the same contributions, the $126,000, all the same, the bottom line number is five point seven six million dollars instead of three point one. So you almost doubled uh, the return on your investment, and uh, and and yet uh, you would not have felt like that as you just look at the numbers. But that combination of small cap value and the S and P five hundred. Uh, they, uh, they oftentimes are just adding a little bit, but those little bits uh, add up, and sometimes they add a lot. And boy, do, the, do they add up. And the 60-40, which was $1.7 million at the bottom line with the S&P 500, the 60-40 is $2.5 million. So you picked up another $800,000. And, uh, and, and also, also remember looking at the down at the bottom there where people don't want to take any risk if they could keep from having to do it. If you put in 30% of your money in, the, uh, in this two funds, U.S. S&P 500, small cap value, before... With the S&P 500, it was up to 971700 Now it's up to $1 million, almost $1.2 million. So again, some pretty big differences. Now, the sequence of returns tells some really interesting stories because I've kind of gone from the top to the bottom in one big leap and said, Here's what it would have felt like or what you would have gotten in theory with the patience of staying the course, This, whether it's 60-40 or the 100% equity. But there's one other thing I want you to see that I think is pretty important. When I look at the S&P 500, I can see that at the end of 1999, the 
value of that portfolio was $699,000. In fact, let me share with you, at the end of the 70s, it was worth $16,000 plus. At the end of the 80s, $120,000 almost. And then at the end of the 90s, uh, almost $700,000. And... Uh, and, 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 and so that's, you know, that's a phenomenal return. Who would be complaining about that? But at the end of the next decade, a difficult decade for a single asset class, and remember, every single asset class is going to have periods like this where they struggle. But in this particular case, you continue to put the money in there. But at the end of that next 10 years, uh, remember back in the end of 99, it was worth about 700000 By 2009, it was worth 662000 You had been putting money into the account, but it wasn't cooperating. It was losing more than it was making. Now, it's fascinating to see the impact of just that addition of small cap value. But don't think of it as just small cap value. Think of it as small cap. That's a different asset class than large blend. And think of it as value. That is a different asset class from the, the large cap blend that is mostly driven, the S&P 500, by growth. So look what happened here with the two-fund strategy. And I'm just going to take you through the, 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 the three decades uh, where the problem began for the S&P 500. For the two-fund strategy, at the end of the first decade, over 23000 At the end of the second decade, almost 171000 And at the end of the third decade, uh, almost 872000 now, remember, that is the point at which the S&P 500 had about $700,000 and then woke up 10 years later to find out they had less than they started with. But with the two-fund strategy, more asset classes combined, and that's not a guarantee that it's going to do this, I don't want to suggest that at all, but it gives you the opportunity when one asset class struggles that others might do better. But at the end of that uh, 19 of uh, 2009, the two fund S and P 500 small cap value portfolio was worth one million three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Now that's a pretty big deal because remember the. The S&P 500 was down to uh, 662,000. Now, the S&P 500 does just fine over the next decade because you end up with $3 million. It had a great decade. And, and, uh, and, and by the way, I'm looking uh, all the way down to the bottom of the page, which picks up to 2020, 2021, and 2022. But down at the end of this 53-year period, the two-fund strategy ends up with $5.8 million. It was not as profitable as the S&P 500 was 
in the last decade. So there are going to be times when when a single asset class will be the the star student, and uh, and others will 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 follow. But I really think having more than one major equity asset class is really a big deal. Now I want to take it to a portfolio that it has two uh, things going for it. It does have large and small, um, and in both cases value, but it doesn't have any growth. And so it is a combination of a large cap value portfolio and a small cap value portfolio. So if you looked at the names of the companies that are in those, uh, particularly the large cap value, you'd recognize them. But you're not, gonna, you're not going to see Tesla. You're not going to see Microsoft. You're not going to see Facebook. You're not going to see many companies that have been the darlings of the last decade. And almost every decade has these hot shots, not necessarily these, but others. And then oftentimes they go through serious corrections and, 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 and come back down, revert to the mean, maybe, is what's going on. But, here, but, but here's the thing. Things change. The returns are going to change when you do something so radical as to eliminate the hot shots. And the academics have noted that over time, the value companies actually produce as a group, as a group, not one by one, a higher rate of return. So let me just look here at how you would have done had you started with a thousand and and you raise it by 3% a year, and you invested the $126,000, remembering that you, you got up to about uh, $3 million plus with the S&P and, 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 and with the S&P and the other, about $5.7 million. Now we're going up to $7 million with the U.S. all-value portfolio. It has most of the same problems with underperforming the previous year from time to time. It has one more than the others. It has nine in the 100% equity portfolio, and it has seven in the 60-40. In the other 60-40s, there were only six years that they underperformed the previous year. But you are picking up a combination that has a higher standard deviation. In the short term, it's going to be more uh, volatile. And uh, it is interesting to note that when we look at the, down at the low end, oh, by the way, I didn't mention, the 60-40 ended with a return, a total value of $2.8 million, uh, and and that is uh, uh, compared to about 2.5 million uh, for the uh, 60/40 with the U.S. Uh, uh, S&P 500 and small cap value. So it's it 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 is particularly more productive uh, as a standalone asset class 
but it also helped the returns with the 60-40. And if we look at the returns of the 30%, uh, with the all value, it gets up to uh, 1.25 uh, versus with the two-fund strategy, uh, 1.2 approximately, and with the S&P 500, about 970000 So better returns, a little more risk, maybe a little discomfort because you don't have any S&P 500 in your portfolio. But I think if you went and looked at the names of the companies in the top 25 or 50 uh, positions in that index, they are companies you'd be comfortable with. Uh, drug companies, consumer companies, uh, some banks, uh, and uh, and as a matter of fact, in Vanguard, the number one holding is Berkshire Hathaway. So my sense is, it's the same story over and over again. Whenever we can find ways to make a small difference, it pays off. If I built these same tables and I started with, with mutual funds that are in the same, in the same category at Morn, Morningstar, the large cap blend, but they were actively managed, and they had higher expenses, and they had higher taxes because of the turnover, and, 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 all of the, and, and they had less diversification. And I used the, 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 the indexes instead, and, and so there, already you're doing something in your best interest there. But then how much you put in, uh, uh, in equities and how much you put in fixed income, that is going to have an, uh, an impact on your lifetime return. And, 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 and then which one or ones of the different uh, equity combinations uh, that you might use that, that, that we offer. And by the way, there are hundreds of other combinations that people recommend. So we're not the only ones recommending uh, what we think is the best solution, but I can tell you we've tested a lot of those, uh, not every one, but a lot of them, and our strategies are, in fact, historically uh, more profitable. But all of these little steps add up to some really big numbers over a lifetime. We have purposefully here not used uh, a, a normal investment. I, I think most of you started out with more than $1,000. And by the way, by the way, and I think this is important. Every one of you can go to the Merriman Lifetime Investment Calculator and uh, you can put in your own numbers. You can put in what your account is worth now. You can put it in the theoretical money that you think you're going to add in the future, and you can test it. And by the way, you can test it starting in 1970, or you can test it starting in any year. And you could also test it by adjusting the returns downwards to see how would you have done if the future is not as good as it has been in the past. All these things can be tested. Uh, what we want to help you do is to find comfort in these combinations, combinations in terms 
of the theoretical risk from the past and combinations in terms of how much diversification you want to have in your portfolio. And as I suggested, as I suggested, many of you will want to use several of these different strategies because you may have a Roth IRA, you may have a 401k, you may have a a taxable account. And so you may find it uh, comforting to be able to access many of these strategies. Now, one of the things I, I think is important for you to also, and I noted this, but I want to go back to it for just a second. I do want you to note that you can go very long periods of time, like the S&P 500 struggled for a decade. Let us not forget that the previous 25 years, it had been a star performer. So there's a lot of luck that goes on. And and I think that the step we need to take is to do all that we can to protect ourselves from being exposed to too much bad luck. That's the reason we have 500 companies in a portfolio, or like my wife and I do with our ultimate buy and hold strategy, over 12,000 companies. So I hope this helps. I hope this gives you a, 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 a sense of the range of things that could happen to you. I hope you go to the calculator and try it out with different starting points. And I also hope, even though you are years away from retirement, maybe even 40 years from retirement. I would like you to take the time to go with us, whether you do it with the video that we'll produce or you'll do it with the podcast, to go through the two presentations on distributions. Because one of the things uh, you young people want to do is to figure out how much money you need to retire. And by the way, once you see these distribution tables, if you could figure out how much money you think you need to retire, even if you could at age 40, you can see by using different combinations of how much you take out and and what what portfolios you use to to grow your money and how much fixed income you need to feel secure, all those moving parts come alive in these tables about distribution. So we'll have have two distribution conversations, one about a fixed distribution and one about a flex or variable distribution strategy. We'll show you how to take out a little bit of money. We'll show you how to take out a lot of money and uh, and the steps that you likely need to take uh, to take out the maximum you can to enjoy and not be afraid to run out of money before you run out of life. Thank you very much for listening. Please pass this information along. If you are going to forward this information, I would encourage the folks to start from the beginning, from the ultimate buy and hold strategy, and understand this one step at a time. I suspect by the time Chris and Daryl and myself, when we get this done, where we've, we've unloaded all of this important information about what we consider to be the most important decisions you're going to make, 
you probably have eight or nine hours of listening to go through to get it. But I, I can tell you, I can't call it a master's course, but I can tell you, you will know a ton about the investment process. And in fact, I think you will know more than many, if not most, of the investment advisors who are, are guiding people with their investments. So join us, share with others, join us in the future, and uh, we'll try our best to help. Thank you for listening. That was Paul Merriman with Sound Investing. Sound Investing, soundinvesting.com, and paulmerriman.com are produced and exclusively owned by Paul Merriman, who is solely responsible for their content. For more information, free articles, mutual fund recommendations, and more, visit paulmerriman.com.